Pastor Mark Kelly, and I have the privilege of leading Thrive, our marriage ministry for young families. And this is just a perfect fit for me for so many reasons, uh, one of which is my wife Bethany and I. We have four kids ourselves, and um, they're spaced out two, well, up until a week ago, two, four, six, and eight. Our four-year-old just turned five and threw the whole thing off, uh, but we're, we're figuring it out. But basically, the, the point is that we have kids staggered every two years. So just as soon as we would graduate a baby out of being a baby, another baby would show up. And uh, the, the string of diaper changing has been a continuous unbroken chain for, for eight years now. And uh, our two-year-old is, um, is, is two, and, and there isn't another baby in the Kelly house. And so we're experiencing life without a baby for the first time. I say that because... We know what it's like to have a baby around, and one of the age-old problems of having a baby around is timing and sleep. Two beautiful things um, that a baby doesn't understand. You have to help them to understand. And uh, countless times I can remember sitting around with my wife and expecting the baby's going to wake up any minute now, so we're going to be able to go. Surely, any second now, the baby's going to be awake, only to have another half hour go by. We revisit the conversation. There's no way... You know, the baby's still asleep, we've got to go, only to have it be another half hour. And they always seem to be asleep when you want them to be awake and awake when you want them to be asleep. This is just one of the age-old problems. But I want you to think about that feeling of surely any second now the baby's going to wake up or surely any second now the email's going to come in. It's supposed to be here this morning. It's not here yet. Where is it? It's got to happen any second now. The whistle's going to blow. The game's going to be over any second now. It should have happened. It hasn't happened yet. What's the deal? That's the feeling that we're supposed to have, the anticipation that we're supposed to have as it relates to the end of all things, as Scripture will say uh, to us. In fact, in our passage, it says the end of all things is at hand. And the question I want to pose this morning is how do you spend your time when... The end of all things is at hand. What's the most effective way for you to spend your precious moments when there's only a few left? How do you spend your time when time is running out? Our text answers that question for us. And it's actually an answer that really surprised me in my study. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, there's a few things that follow love each other, show hospitality, and last on the list, serve each other. You'd think it might say something different. The end of all things is at hand, therefore, serve each other. The way we think it might be different is, you know, answers that we hear around us all the time in our culture. Time is running out, the end of all things is at hand, well, build a bunker, you know, find safety, survive as long as possible or the end of all things is at hand better live it up while you got the time you only have a few moments left you better make them the best possible moments you can have as much fun as possible or the end of all things is at hand it's almost over anyway let's just throw in the town now let's just let's just stop let's just wait our text calls us to activity, and it's none of those activities. It's the activity of serving one another. And I hope you're struck by that as I was when I studied because 
I think there's, um, there's something here in this text that calls us to think in a way that we wouldn't naturally think and certainly think in a way that our culture uh, doesn't tell us to think. And so we need this text to remind us how should we operate here when the end is near. Evidently, it's by, it's by being all the more urgent to serve each other. Look in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want you to see this for yourself, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then our text, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. We'll go on to verse 11, but let's just pause there for right now and recognize a couple things. One, God is emphasized as the one who gives and distributes these gifts. He is the giver of the gifts, and we are recipients of gifts. And we ought to feel a sense of responsibility and stewardship. In fact, our text even says we are stewards of God's varied grace. So let's put that down for the first point here this morning. View your giftedness as a stewardship. If you want to spend your time effectively by serving others, the first thing you need to know is that your giftedness is a stewardship from God. You have a responsibility. If, for example, I was given vouchers for every single person in the church to get a brand new air conditioning unit, brand new insulation, brand new windows. Can I get an amen? Because it's been so hot lately, right? I mean, it's been super hot. We've been suffering here in South Orange County. And um, just the thought of having a free home renovation for the air conditioning sounds beautiful, right? So let's just say I have a voucher for every single person in the church. No charge, free air conditioning. And uh, I'm given this stack of vouchers. You should hope that I would feel a sense of responsibility to dish those out. First weekend out on the patio to be out there handing them out to everyone. It'd be tragic for you if I just sat there and did nothing with them and thought, oh, it's too hot outside for me to dish these out. Let me wait until it gets cooler or that sounds like a lot of work. I'm not gonna do that or I don't feel like doing it or I'm gonna take these and sell them and get my own money for them or any number of things. The person who gave me the vouchers said, I want you to dish these out to every person at Compass Bible Church. I have a responsibility to take what I'm given and use it for the people that the person who gave me the gift wants it to be used for. And so I think in the same way, if you're a Christian, you have been given a set of gifts by the Lord. And your responsibility is to feel this sense of stewardship. God has given me gifts, talents, abilities um, that I should use here to serve other people. If you look in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 25, turn there with me. It doesn't explicitly say the word steward or stewardship, but this parable, the parable of the talents, certainly paints the picture of stewardship and responsibility. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He says, for it will be like a man, starting in verse 14, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Those are great words for us to think about here today. Entrusting 
his property. Okay, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And now the passage goes on and the the master comes back and it's time for accountability. What did you do with the talents that I gave you? This was just a large sum of money was a talent. And so they they were supposed to take the money and invest it and get a return on their money, which the first two servants do. And for that, they are commended and given more. But the third takes the investment and buries it in the ground, does nothing with it. And for this, he is condemned. This is not an appropriate thing. I gave you this money. I entrusted you this money to do something with it, and you didn't do anything with it. And um, this was a problem for the third servant, A steward is entrusted with someone else's property or money and expected to do what the master wants to be done with that stuff. And in some cases, people in the church, you and I, were entrusted with large chunks of money to do things with. Other times, we are given other kinds of gifts. And our passage in 1 Peter doesn't limit it to any one particular gift or gift set. It's any kind of gift. We refer to spiritual gifts. We talk about any sort of gift, talent, ability that you have that can be used to serve the church. I think that's what Peter has in mind here in 1 Peter chapter 4. I have the privilege of pastoring Thrive, as I mentioned, and uh, Thrive on Thursday nights, it's a really neat community of people who come together, and some people are are just great small group leaders, and they're they're really gifted to facilitate conversation and care for people. Uh, Some people are good on the microphone, and they they hop up and do announcements and uh, lead games and, and do things up front. Other people don't want any part of the microphone or the stage, and they want to stay far away from it, but they're really good at baking delicious desserts. And for this, I'm thankful, right? I mean, it is, it's a good thing when uh, people do what they're good at here at the church and they bring it in-house and serve one another with what they're good at. If you have this sense of stewardship and responsibility that you've been entrusted with something by God to use it here in the church, then I think you're on your way to spending your time effectively when the end of all things is at hand. I think one of the main motivators for these couples that I refer to and thrive, is I hear them say, you know, God's given me the ability to do this. I should really use it here in the church. I love that mindset. I think that's a mindset that we all ought to have. If you look in 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 10, you'll see that these gifts that we're talking about here are manifestations of God's grace. Do you see that? These are manifestations of the grace of God. So people experience the grace of God through your giftedness. You become a conduit to bring the grace of God to other people. I can think of specific times here at Compass where I've been blessed by God through human instrumentality, through you. 
whether it's bringing me a meal, it's a beautiful thing, it really speaks my language, right? Um, caring for us when we, you know, when we have one of our four kids, um, praying, dropping a note, sending a text, uh, any number of things that many of you have done just to serve me personally or my family. I experienced the, the grace of God through those um, moments. Also, I sit there in the black chairs that you're sitting in and I listen to Pastor Mike preach week in and week out. And that is a time where I have experienced the grace of God. Hearing a gifted preacher communicate God's word, I am experiencing the grace of God in those moments through human instrumentality. Pretty significant and awesome that God would use people to distribute his grace. Because if we think about that for a second, God is very capable of just snapping his fingers and zapping everyone with grace. In fact, he could do it a lot more uh, quickly if he took me out of the equation, if he took you out of the equation. He could distribute his grace really quickly and really effectively all by himself. Yet, our passage says that God has given people, Christians, gifts to distribute his grace. And so when I read this and I think about this, I think what a privilege that we get to distribute the grace of God through gifts that he's given to us. What an opportunity. Many of you know that several years ago, I had the, um, the challenge of replacing the legendary Pastor Bobby Blakey in uh, True North. <laughs> right, so this is a major feet. Pa Pastor Bobby, amazing in so many ways. And, you know, I show up and, you know, I'm supposed to just kind of pick up where he left off. It was hard. Not many of you know this, that um, perhaps an even harder thing was moving to Indiana where I replaced a Navy SEAL. Kid you not. Okay. So I moved to Indiana and um, the guy who had my office and um, one of the things that I was responsible for, uh, left the ministry to become a Navy SEAL. He's, you know, reading his Bible and he's pastoring and he thinks, you know what? I'm just gonna go become a Navy SEAL. And he did, because the whole time I was there, the first several months, um, he was going through SEAL training and he was making it. Guys were dropping out, guys were getting hurt, guys were being filtered out and he was making it. And he wasn't only surviving through SEAL training, he was excelling and it was just working really well. And um, he came back to tell some of those stories. Uh, but it, it was hard for me to show up, you know, hey, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I work out sometimes, but I also really like nachos. Um, I would leave my office for a bathroom break and, or something. I'd go and I'd come back and the ladies at the front desk, they'd be like, hey, you know, when Jared used to leave his office, he would force himself to do 20 pull-ups every time he left and 20 pull-ups every time he came back in. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go back in and keep reading my book and eating Cheetos. Um, <laughs> it was pretty challenging. But I tell you about Jared because he's a great godly man who succeeded in SEAL tra training. And um, he came back to tell of it. And I was really struck. I don't know if anyone else in the crowd noticed this, but he used the word opportunity so many times when he told of the, the rigors and tortures of what he went through. You know, he said, yeah, we, we had the opportunity to jump out of airplanes when it was pitch black. You know, we had the opportunity to break through the ice in Alaska and bring our bodies to the point of hypothermia and, and then revive them. 
we had the opportunity to uh, bring our bodies to absolute physical breakdown and then heal them, nurse them back to health. You know, like a lot of people when talking about such things would use different language. <laughs> I had to jump out of an airplane when I couldn't see anything. I had to fall through the ice in Alaska and experience hypothermia. I had to uh, experience complete bodily breakdown, you know, and the list goes on. And here he was talking about the opportunities. And I think we would do really well as Christians to incorporate more opportunity language, more privilege language. When we talk about serving here at the church, our text says, when we serve, we are delivering the grace of God to people. What a significant thing. What a privilege. And we had to view it that way and uh, serve because in doing so, we're, we're able to participate in things that matter for eternity. We're able to invest our time and use our resources that God has given us in ways that he want us to, wants us to that have an impact for eternity. This is an opportunity and a privilege that we should constantly be thankful for. So I think just so far, our passage should challenge us in a few ways. One, this giftedness is not mine to do whatever I want with. I don't get the credit for this gift. God gave me the ability. My gift is not for me, it's for other people. To God, I will give an account for how I handled his stuff that he entrusted to me. And it's an absolute privilege to have gifts that carry the grace of God to others. And so you should feel the weight of responsibility and stewardship to serve one another because the text wants us to, to feel this sort of responsibility, but it wants us to do something with it. It's not enough to just recognize you're a steward. You need to act on it. And that's what the middle of verse 10 says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Don't just sit on your gifts, but use them to serve others. That's point number two. Use your gifts to benefit others. Use your gifts to benefit others. Now, I've given a lot of gifts in my life and I've experienced different kinds of reactions to the gifts that I've given. Maybe you've experienced some of these things as well. I'm envisioning here small human beings that I give gifts to, but I'll, I'll go and buy a, um, a present or something for one of my kids and wrap it up. And, and the reaction is opening the present and instantly disregarding the present in lieu of the wrapping paper or the cardboard box or any number of other things. Kids just don't have the filter of, oh, thank you so much for this present, I love it, when, when they really don't. They just set it aside and go on to what they really care about and you just really get to see that. Okay, that wasn't a good one, they didn't like that. Um, so that's one reaction we can have to gifts that God gives to us or people give to us, complete disregard. Two is immediate selfishness right? This gift is mine. You can't play with it. You can't touch it. You can't even be in the same room as it. Get, a, get away from me. This is my gift. And there's this immediate selfishness that can come over us when we receive a gift. But I hear that there's a third alternative, a rare phenomenon that happens among children when they receive a gift, and it's they, they receive it with thankfulness, and then they begin to use it to, to share and bless other people. 
I've seen this before and you know, it's a blessing as a dad to give a kid a present and to see them not only be thankful, but to actually use the, the present, whatever it may be, to bless other people, to, to share, to bring other people in on the gift. Man, that is so rewarding as the giver of the gift and motivating for me to give more. I wanna give that kid more gifts because they share with it. The reality is, is if you're a Christian, you have been given a gift and it's not for you to enjoy by yourself. It's for you to use to serve other people. Use it to serve others. That phrase in verse 10 makes it sound like it's possible to have a gift and not use it. And it's also possible to have a gift and use it in all sorts of places other than one another. And I don't want to err on either side of that. I want to be someone who takes what God has given me and uses it to bless one another. And I think the one another here is the, the audience of First Peter. These are Christians and, uh, who are going to form the church. Use it here to serve others. This might require a mentality shift for us because we live in America in the 21st century and gift giving is largely um, to make people happy, right? We, at Christmas, I don't know, we, we give people gifts and one of the main cultural motivations for gift giving is I wanna make this person happy. And we shouldn't impose our 21st century American understanding of gifts and gift giving onto this text. Rather, let's look at this text and see God has given gifts to Christians and he wants them, the, the, the rest of that sentence doesn't say to be happy. It says to use their gifts to serve other people. The end of all things is at hand, serve each other. It's pretty significant. And when I use that word serve and right there in verse 10, you see that word serve, it's the word diakoneo, the word where we get deacon. And um, it, it is an official ministry post in the church and other places in the Bible. But in this text, clearly, it is not limited. The service is not limited to um, a ministry leadership post in the church. This is for every single Christian to hear and respond to. Every person, not the pastors only, not the uh, ministry leaders only, but every single person in the church is called to minister in fact, that's why, one of, the, one of the main reasons why we are launching the Compass Bible Institute, because as a church, we want to formalize this training of people to do ministry. Our theme verse, you'll see it printed right there on the crest, is Ephesians 4.12. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, service. Every single person is called to this. And so if you'll look at that passage, Ephesians chapter 4, Starting in verse 11, it says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That verse 16 there draws on this metaphor of uh, the church being a body and every single joint in the body that holds it together makes the body to grow when it works properly together so that the body builds itself up in love. This isn't the only passage, Ephesians chapter four in the New Testament. Other passages refer to the necessity, the importance, the crucial nature of every single person, every single joint and ligament in the church to contribute and participate in ways that God has uniquely gifted them to do so. Every gift, every person is indispensable. And you might feel like, well, I just don't have that much to give or contribute to the church. Um, And I think you're wrong. If you're a Christian, God has given you every resource you need to serve and contribute in ways that are good and helpful and um, healthy for the body in which you exist. First Corinthians chapter 12 speaks to that. Every single member. And we need every person in our church contributing so that we as a body function as a healthy body. I'm not a medical doctor, but if half of our bodily systems were not working, half of our body was just not functioning, I don't think we would be considered a very healthy body. And I'm told that general statistics are that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'm not a mathematician either, but it sounds like 20% is less than 50%, which is a problem. I'm not a gymnast, believe it or not. (laughs) But if 20% of our body is working and 80% is not, or even 50% is working and 50% is not, then it would be really hard to function in a healthy active sort of way. So this is a call for every person to contribute in the ways that God has gifted them. I love being a part of this church family. I love being a part of this body. There are so many people um, that serve and contribute and and it's such a neat family here. And I want us to grow and develop and excel as a body. I am a pastor and I'm concerned for us and the health of our body. I want us to be active, engaged in what God has called the church to do. That requires that we shift our mentality a little bit when we walk through the doors here on the weekend. It's a good thing to show up expecting to benefit from the sermon, expecting to experience a good time together in worship and uh, fellowship and donuts out on the patio and coffee and all of these great things. But certainly showing up to church, we should expect to do more than just benefit from the service. We need to show up to church with the expectation that we're going to contribute, we're going to give, we're going to help in some way, shape, or form to the overall health of our body. So you've got a job to do when you show up to church to use your giftedness to benefit others and to be a conduit for the grace of God. What a privilege. The passage, 1 Peter, goes on to clarify how we should go about serving. The manner in which we serve that results not only in the blessing of others, but in God being glorified. 
Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we speak and serve in the way the text calls us to, the result is that God is glorified. So point number three, put it down this way. Make your service an act of worship. Make your service an act of worship. God gets the credit for the contents of the speaking and the power of the serving. And Peter, in, this, in these two words, he captures all different kinds of gifts that God gives to people in the church. All gifts kind of fall into these two umbrella categories, speaking or serving. And so gifts of speaking include um, anytime we're, we're verbalizing the words of God and truths about God, gifts of preaching and teaching and counseling and evangelism, carrying the word of God to people, facilitating small groups, any number of ways that we speak. And the text says that people who are gifted to speak ought to speak the oracles of God. This, we don't need to overthink that antiquated phrase. It's God's words that he's given. We have the oracles of God right here in his book. We have God's words and we ought to take God's words and speak them and share them, preach them. That's why we're committed to expository preaching here at Compass. Why when you come on the weekends, we're going to open our Bibles, we're going to study. That's why we put the word Bible into the middle of our name as a church. We love opening our Bibles to learn from God. And people who are gifted to, to speak in some way, shape, or form should be diligent and disciplined to not draw on their own opinions and ideas, but to draw on what God has given us. This is what, this is what God says. I'm going to tell you about it. People who are gifted to serve are gifted to give, to care, to help, provide meals, to visit if you're sick or in the hospital, to pray, to show mercy, any number of ways that you can serve and care for people through an action. And First Peter, it says, people who serve should do so with the strength that God supplies. And it seems like Peter's going to great lengths here, whether it's a speaking gift or whether it's a serving gift, to exhort people to carry out that gift with a proper dependence on the Lord. To, to go about it with a, with a disposition that depends on God for his words and for his strength. As I mentioned... I have four kids, two, five, six, and eight. And that means that normal things, trying to accomplish normal things in our day, become major feats, like going to the grocery store. We'll go to the grocery store and just getting the herd into the building safely is a challenge that we now need to navigate and come up with a plan to do. Um, because, you know, we park and we may be far away from the entrance to the grocery store. And so just to, to get all the kids into the grocery store, usually what I'll do is grab a hand and another hand of the youngest, and I'll hold their hands as we walk into the grocery store to keep them safe. And usually, I don't know, 
two seconds after me starting to hold their hand, they immediately start like, you know, trying to pull their hand out. And it's like so hard to hold their hand up and they're trying to wiggle and twist their way out. And until sometimes a big truck or something will come down the lane that we're walking and I'll feel that little hand grab tightly to mine. And there's this recognition that I need dad's protection here. And now they're thankful that they're holding my hand and they're clutching it tightly. And the reality is, is my kids depend on me for a whole lot more than just getting into the grocery store. They depend on me for all sorts of things. And if you're a Christian, you depend on God for way more than you recognize and acknowledge. And when we speak and when we serve and when we do everything that God calls us to do, we should bring with us this attitude of dependence, of gripping tightly and not feeling like I got this. I got this on my own. I can do this in my strength. I can, I can figure this out on my own. We really should have the attitude of dependence. And what happens when we bring that kind of attitude is that God is glorified. That's what it says. When we do it that way, it says in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. He gets the credit. So for those of you who serve, this is one way for you to worship God. We sang in the service, I asked Joseph to sing, um, O Church Arise. Man, and there, there's, there's a song that just we get to sing together as a, as a church family that really calls ourselves, calls one another to action. And hopefully you worshiped God when you sang those lyrics and you, you proclaimed those truths. But what I'm suggesting to you is that you have an opportunity to worship God when you put this message to practice. When you take your giftedness and use it to bless other people, this is another way for you to glorify God. You can worship him when you sing and when you serve. And you should do both of those things for the glory of God. So let's bring about with us this, this um, dependence so that in everything, he's given the credit and he's um, glorified. I have an hourglass on my desk here at the office. And sometimes when I really want to crank out some productive work, I'll take the hourglass and I'll put it right next to my computer and I'll flip it over. It's a 30-minute hourglass. And there's just something really, really motivating to me in watching the sand pass from the top bulb to the bottom bulb. Because out of the corner of my eye, I, I literally see time slipping away. <laughs> I really see time being spent. And it motivates me to, to work and to make the most of that 30-minute interval of time. And different than a clock... The hourglass, you, you don't know how much time you have left when you're close to the end. With a clock, you can watch the minutes tick down. You can watch the seconds tick down until it hits zero. You know exactly where, when you're going to hit zero. With an hourglass, you don't know. <laughs> you just got you just to go. And you, you got you to crank as fast as you can until all of that time is gone. And so I can look and see there's just a little bit sand, of sand left. Like, how, how much time is that? I don't know, but I just got to keep going. And I, I want to suggest to you that the Bible calls us to a disposition. That sort of disposition that senses that time is short, that time is running out, time is being spent, 
The end is near. And I ought to be as effective as I can be with my time. And the way that the Bible calls us to be effective with our time when time is short is by serving one another of all things. I think it's right at the heart of being Christ-like, to serve one another. So, where will you serve? There's an insert in your bulletin that asks that exact question. And it looks something like this right here. It says, where will you serve? And on the back, there's a website, serve.compasschurch.org. And um, on that website, there's a list of all sorts of needs and opportunities that are available to you here at Compass. And some people might think, well, this is a big church. Everything's covered. We, there aren't many needs because this is a big church. And I think the opposite is actually true. Because we're a big church, we, we have so many needs. We have so many opportunities for people to serve that are not yet filled. And this is an ongoing thing. And so you have opportunities, plural, to be actively involved here at Compass. And I told people in the office this week, I'm preaching on 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. It's about service. And you should see the way some people lit up. Like, oh man. Because I, I would ask, like, is there anything specific that I could mention? Any specific needs that you have in your ministry? And some people really lit up. There's a few that I want to mention to you. One is Awana. My kids are involved in Awana. It's an awesome program. But I heard that we need at least 12 small group leaders to sign up between now and when Awana starts, which I think is pretty soon. Kids Bible Club. We have a fantastic kids ministry at our church. And um, there are kids uh, teaching times that are happening every single day of the week, except Mondays, in, during the day and during the evening. <laughs> we filter a lot of kids through our church and they are taught the word of God by you. And um, I heard that we need at least 43 teachers to sign up for Kids Bible Club in order to pull off what we want to pull off. And um, there are needs outside of teaching in kids ministry. There's needs to um, run the tech for kids ministry, to set up crafts and do music and any number of things. And so um, there's an opportunity there for you. I don't know if you know uh, Pastor Elias, pastor of our Spanish church in, in San Juan Capistrano. He was, he was like, hey, if you have Spanish speakers, we could use them in San Juan Capistrano. And I was like, I think we have Spanish speakers. I'll tell them. And so uh, you don't have to fly to Guatemala to use your uh, gift of speaking Spanish to serve the church. You can go to Compass Bible Church, San Juan Capistrano and serve. And, and Pastor Elias would be so excited to talk to you about that. Uh, Navigating Motherhood is a, one of our women's ministry uh, services here, and it is an awesome program for moms. I hear great things about NAVMO all the time, but we need a lot of people to, to step up to serve, to pull off NAVMO, um, from mentors to table leaders to the admin team to the hospitality team. We need help in other women's ministries, um, help with events like women's retreat, Christmas coffee, spring tea, a bunch of things that I would be terrible at if it were put in my responsibility, planning the spring tea. And that, that just it would not be as good of an outreach as it could be uh, if I were planning the spring tea. 
but you might be gifted to help in those sorts of ways, and you should. Tech, for all of our new ministries, we keep announcing new ministries that we're starting, praise the Lord, but that means there's more uh, positions and needs that need to be filled. And so we need tech for all of our new ministries and, and so much more. How about Compass 2020? This is a church-wide endeavor that every single one of us ought to be involved in and contributing to. We need everyone to give, everyone to participate, everyone to pray for Compass 2020. The list goes on. The website has a lot more than I just mentioned. Um, I didn't get it all, I'm sure. Uh, so please check that out and consider where you're gonna serve. And in doing so, experience the, the privilege of distributing the grace of God to one another. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this text and the way it confronts us and calls us to action. We recognize that your word wants us to um, live as if the end were near. The end of all things is at hand. And we see from this passage, God, that one of the ways we can do that is by serving one another. And I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray that as a church body, we would be a healthy body. As a family, we would be a healthy family. We would work together and every single one of us would link arms and come together to participate in your eternal kingdom work. We're so thankful to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.